Sailing and Blasting Incorporated, serving Downey, Central, and Midcoast, Maine, and located at 328 Bucksport Road, Ellsworth, 1-800-640-3515. The time is 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning, our topic is Maine and climate change. What choices do we have now? And I'm delighted to have my colleague Esperanza Stancioff here in the studio with us. Esperanza is with the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thanks, Ron. Tell us a little bit about um, your your background, how you got into this work, and, and how you fit into the Marine Extension team, which is part of both Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Um, yes, well, uh, there are about... Uh, 10 of us along the coast, and we work in different uh, topic areas, uh, doing applied research, um, facilitation, community development, um, monitoring, etc., in aquaculture, fisheries, ecosystem health, community development, and so forth. And uh, my role um, on that team, uh, basically for the last 20 years, I've been engaged in environmental monitoring of coastal waters. Uh, Currently, I'm the Maine Healthy Beaches Coordinator for the state, and uh, do a lot of monitoring and assessment of pollution sources um, through that program, um, and am engaged with various colleagues um, on these projects. Uh, and I'm just switching gears, actually, to a uh, climate change study, um, and uh, am engaged right now on several projects that are uh, just to get my feet wet. Mm. And what what led to this interest? We've we've talked to you about healthy beaches. We've talked to you about um, some of the uh, bacteria that are um, living <laughs> along the coast that we don't like. And and right. and we've we've talked to the other other kind. Of, what what led to your shift in terms of of your career? Right. Um, well, I you know I I'm of a of a time I think uh, in life that um, I think this is the most important issue facing humanity, and I think it's a really uh, a diverse um, topic and very complex, and I'd like to kind of sort it out for myself and hopefully help others in the process. Mm-hmm. So you'll pr- you'll provide some leadership to the rest of that that team. I'm, I'm a member of that team. I should disclose that. So I'm delighted to have your your focus there. Well, let's start with some basic understanding of of, of climate, climate change, weather. What's the difference between climate and weather? We we certainly hear people say. Um, how can there be climate change? It was colder this winter. It's that kind of, of thing right. that is is uh, at the back of people's minds. Well, you know, weather is basically the way the atmosphere is behaving right now. It's um, uh, it's it's the here and now, the current uh, 
weather that's happening, the daily, the weekly forecast, using instruments, Doppler, radar, uh, you know, thermometers, et cetera. It's what we, um, you know, the forecasters are, are giving us on a, on a daily basis and going out maybe seven days to predict um, the current weather. Um, climate, on the other hand, um, is referred to as the average of the weather, either locally, regionally, or globally. It projects into the future as well as takes a look at the past. Um, for example, if um, you know, you might hear your, your mother or your grandmother talk about uh, trudging through the snow waist high going to school. Well, we don't see that so much on the coast anymore. Um, and so that's the, that's talking about the climate. You know, the winter is such and, you know, is, is like this and mm-hmm. the summer is like this mm-hmm. in Maine. Mm-hmm. So those are the climate um, conditions, if mm. you will. I think of, of, of climate a little bit in the, in the notion of um, when it's um, fall, you can get days that feel like winter and you can get days that feel like summer. Those are individual days, but the fall, we know what fall is. I think climate and weather have that same kind of relationship. We can get individual years or individual months mm-hmm. that seem to be a variation from the standard or the norm. So that's, that's exactly. what you're getting at. Exactly. Yeah. There are a lot of conditions and variables mm-hmm. that will affect mm-hmm. um, both weather and mm-hmm. climate. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been 10 years after um, the Kyoto Protocols, and I don't know all the details of that. I'm sure you've studied them more than I have. Um, but people have been looking at this issue for at least a decade, uh, a little bit more, um, certainly leading up to Kyoto. What do we know about climate change over that period of time? What have we learned in, in the last right. dozen years? Well, I think there's some uh, now some scientifically valid and indisputable facts that, um, and just to, to quote a, um, a colleague uh, at the university, George Jacobson, um, who has uh, really put it in perspective by, you know, just saying that humans have been adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere in large quantities, primarily through the combustion of fossil fuels. We know that to be true. Uh, these additions will almost certainly increase pre-industrial levels uh, by 200 to 300% during the next century or so. Uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases trap heat in our atmosphere, and the result is highly likely to be warming of the Earth during this, the next decade and into, into the next century. So um, we've seen that. Uh, I think there are many, many, many uh, scientific studies um, along with a com- combination by the uh, intergovernmental uh, panel on climate change, bringing hundreds of scientists around the world together to actually decipher, interpret these studies and, and look at climate modeling to show us what, you know, what has happened in the last, you know, 10 years and, and what's predicted to happen. And so we're seeing a lot of change in our climate. Um, and a lot of people actually worldwide are suffering mm. as a result. Mm. So if we, if we just say, um, a hundred years ago, there were X number of people. Now there's X more, right. Y more people. So right. people themselves are adding carbon dioxide through the use of, of, of how they heat their homes, how they drive right. their cars. Fossil fuels. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, the world population has increased from 5.9 billion in 1998 to 6.6 billion today. It's predicted to be 9.5 to 10 billion by 2050. And adding that many people to the planet is, you know, is creating that much more carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases mm-hmm. into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that's some of what we know. Um, 
there are probably um, sources that you've looked at. Are there um, uh, themes that have emerged even in the last year or so about what we know? Are there more recent things than that, oh, yes. that general thing that, that mm-hmm. we can tell about climate change? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, um, there are, I mean, daily, there are <laughs> a lot of uh, studies that uh, the, the results of which are available to us. Um, I can, you know, I could certainly, if anybody's interested, give some, mm. some websites and some good sources. But um, I think that um, one of the studies that has come out most recently is to take a look at uh, carbon emissions and actually map that um, do, um, and show, you know, where the carbon emissions are, are greatest uh, in the United States. And the Northeast is certainly, you know, one of those, those areas that's, that's – uh, that that's provided the information, um, the data for, which is a visual representation of what we're actually contributing to the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about w- where the carbon comes from. You know, what kinds of sources mm-hmm. does this mm-hmm. um, new study um, talk yeah. about? Is it my my home that's on the on the picture when I burn my wood stove, <laughs> or is it something else? What yeah. what, what, what contributes well, to carbon? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of um, you know transportation and um, and energy that we use as, as humans. And um, it's also, you know, coming specifically from, you know, coal-fired plants um, and uh, the cars that we drive, um, the energy use for our homes. Um, so it's a, it's a number of, of things all, you know, put together to create um, um, a serious problem. Mm. And those folks who have seen um, Al Gore's um, film, um, mm-hmm. they'll remember the diagrams of, of, mm-hmm. of uh, a layer um, above us uh, on the on the planet, um, and that's preventing heat from escaping. Basically, as that right. as that layer builds up and becomes more dense, that heat can't escape, and that right. kind of traps heat on Earth. It does, and it warms the planet. Okay. Yes, okay. and some areas are being warmed at a faster rate than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you recently were able to participate in a conference or a workshop sponsored by the World Wildlife Fund. Um, tell us about that um, experience. Um, where was it, and and who was there, and and what did you learn from that process? Right. Um, well, I, you know, I just have to say that reading these things online or through reports and so forth is, um, is uh, interesting and shocking enough. But um, going and talking with the folks who are from these places is, is really, is, was really a valuable experience. And I was able to uh, – there were 40 countries represented for this training. And um, I worked with several uh, folks from uh, different places. And one, some of the stories that are the, the uh, situations that really struck me were uh, one from uh, Bangladesh, from the Sundarbans uh, region. And uh, they're doing studies to find out, um, you know, mapping the sea level uh, for a huge part of the coast, the southern coast, which um, is um, – sort of the the border or the barrier for India, basically. And um, they have millions and millions of, of people there. And what's happening is uh, they're losing their land. Um, it's all mangroves. And through sea level rise and uh, uh, storms that have increased in severity and, and number, uh, they have started to, to lose um, um, all of their uh, houses and, and so forth in that region. And what, that affects 14 million plus people. Um, so so far, they've had 20,000 they call uh, global warming refugees that have had to be relocated. Um, 
And uh, they have, India uh, has been building a fence, a 2,500-mile fence, um, to keep the Bangladeshis out of India. So it's, I think they're stepping up the pace with that, uh, with this situation, which is a, a sad state of affairs. Mm. So the, the, the notion that, that people are already experiencing climate change, this isn't something in the future. Right. That's what, one of the things that you picked exactly. up um, from this, yeah. um, this process. And that um, then other people are saying, oh, we don't want those effects spilling over. We're going to build a right. fence in exactly. this particular case. And right. in another situation in the Galapagos Islands, which I had the pleasure to visit about 35 years ago, um, and is a, you know has been known as a fairly pristine environment. Mm. Um, well, they have. Um, I found out from my colleagues from from the Galapagos that they are uh, their coral reefs um, have they have ninety percent of them uh, destroyed uh, due to just a little under one degree Fahrenheit temperature increase. So um, that was pretty. Uh, uh, shocking. <laughs> so for their economy, uh, which depends on um, ecotourism, um, if people can't go to see the coral reefs, they'll see some other things, but that's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a significant part of their economy. Right. And I think, you know, the certainly tourism is, is something that's a, a, a good and a bad thing mm-hmm, for them mm-hmm. and contributes to it as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. Uh, the big ships and so sure, forth. Yeah. Sure. Well, and we're, you know, we're seeing more stories now about um, should we be flying? places. Mm, right, right. <laughs> so we have yeah. a, um, a part of that. Well, let's bring this to Maine. Um, you've mm. been working on the coast of Maine for uh, a lot of your career. Um, what are you beginning to see? What, what um, concerns uh, are you um, talking with people about? Um, what are you hearing along the coast of Maine? Well, some of the, uh, the work that we've been engaged in has been um, looking at uh, public focus groups for uh, coastal property owners and municipal officials along the coast and uh, looking at uh, sea level rise and what are the predictions for that, what are, the, what are the, some, of the, some of the things that they've seen and what are the perceptions um, that, that people have on the coast. And I think that uh, this is certainly leading to, um, you know, providing information and tools for coastal property owners and others um, in uh, engaging and looking at ways that they can combat and adapt to really sea level rise. Um, so sea level rise is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, changing of the currents in the ocean is a is a big issue, and and certainly would have a great effect in Maine because of the um, um, the Gulf Stream, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, which creates a warming influence for mm-hmm. us. So um, who knows what's going to happen with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, erosion on the coast, um, increased frequency and duration of storms mm-hmm. uh, are, you know, certainly a, a prediction possibility. Um, changes the question in, of invasive species. Oh, invasive species, mm-hmm. you know, which are already, you know, mm-hmm. presenting themselves here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as, as as climate change, that means that circumstances or conditions change for people. <laughs> for um, insects, for um, viruses, everything changes. Everything, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. They're saying that, uh, you know, that that there's there's more prevalence of of disease in the potential in the the lobster population and the, you know, the clam population, um, things like that, that, you know, we're we're seeing Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. uh, could be changing. And definitely the, the marine invasives are... Pretty scary. <laughs> what about the, the landowners um, that you've been working with as, as, as in focus groups? Are are they concerned enough to begin to think about taking some kind of action, or wh- where where does that process lead you? 
Um, well, we, we don't really have the results completely mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't analyzed those results, so um, it's hard to tell. Um, I think that people do definitely care mm-hmm. and, uh, and want to, you know, want to take action. Um, what that will look like, you know, is, is yet to be determined. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's um, remind our listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about Maine and climate change, change and the choices that we have now. Um, in the studio with us is, is Esperanza Stancioff of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. We have on the phone with us uh, Dylan Voorhees. Dylan is with the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thank you for having me. Um, Dylan, first, give us a, a thumbnail sketch of the Natural Resources Council of Maine. You, you and that organization have been um, really um, part of, of Maine's environment for, um, what, 30 years? Um, 50, actually. 50, good for you. Year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as many of your listeners know, um, Natural Resources Council of Maine, NRCM, is a nonprofit uh, membership organization that for many decades, has been protecting and restoring and, and conserving Maine's environment for now and for the future. We work in a, a lot of different areas, from, from rivers and the North Woods to clean air and energy and global warming issues. Um, and I'm in charge of the, the latter. And we're really working to increase public awareness about climate change and the opportunities that we have um, to uh, reduce global warming pollution. We work on wind power and energy efficiency and, and transportation and all of those areas to, to connect people with resources and, um, and policies. Mm. So one of the, the roles that um, Natural Resources Council of Maine is to, to work with and to watch the legislature um, that, that um, helps either um, gets in the way or, or mm-hmm. um, moves things along in mm-hmm. terms of these kinds of issues. Tell us what, what um, has happened in the last uh, legislative session. I think there's been some, some um, progress made. That's true. Um, actually, the, this biennium, I think, was a real, um, real positive story for the environment uh, in general and for, for some global warming action. This last session um, we passed, I would say there's two bills that really stand out as significant um, progress. One of them was an act to implement the recommendations of the governor's task force on wind power. And that was a diverse task force that uh, he established last year to um, help uh, find ways to make Maine a leader um, in wind power and do so in a way that um, protects our quality of places and benefits the people of Maine. And that task force reached some uh, consensus about recommendations, and um, it was implemented this year in legislation that um, does two things that are really important. One is it sets really ambitious goals for developing wind power that are based in good measure on the reductions in global warming pollution we need. But it goes further than that by um, really helping meet those goals, specifically identifying the areas in the state that are appropriate for wind power and setting up a, a permitting um, process that's appropriate for wind and, and can expedite projects that, um, that pass environmental review. So it's really a model approach of, of planning um, for the state and an accomplishment that was um, really widely um, welcomed and, and uh, appreciated by legislators. You mentioned that um, that would go a ways towards meeting uh, Maine's goals. Um, mm-hmm. The national government hasn't set any goals that are uh, that are official. Has Maine done that? Yeah, Maine Maine has, and they, we've we've done so in the context of working with the other New England governors and also the the uh, eastern provinces of Canada. In two thousand and one, Maine and those other states and provinces set specific targets for reducing global warming pollution back to nineteen ninety levels by 2010, and ultimately by reducing, uh, to reduce global warming pollution by 
75 to 80 percent by the middle of the century, which is what scientists say needs to happen. So we have a, a basic framework of reductions that we're trying to, redu- to achieve, not just in Maine, but, but regionally, um, which is important, especially as we think about um, electricity, which we, we share with the rest of, of New England, uh, a single grid. So those goals for wind power um, were put into the framework of, of that kind of uh, reductions, and, and wind power is a, a way that Maine and the region can make significant reductions um, mm. of greenhouse gases. Um, the other big piece of legislation that uh, we worked on was, um, was uh, legislation to implement uh, energy efficiency codes, building codes for new construction, home construction in the state. Um, this has really been an initiative that's decades in the making. Uh, we had a big coalition of home builders and contractors and developers and environmentalists who, who supported that. Um, they're basic standards for new construction. It's not, not green building standards, but they really make a difference in, um, in reducing the energy consumption and the emissions that come out of our residential sector. Forty-five other states already have these standards. Maine's been a little behind. Um, but this is a, a major accomplishment for the state. And the residential sector is, after transportation, the biggest uh, source of emissions in the state, and most of it comes from, from uh, heating. So having some standards in place for new construction is, was a major accomplishment this year. And I've, I've, I've seen some press that says the uh, construction industry is really um, actually glad for this because it's a statewide standard rather than an individual town standard. Absolutely. It's, it's a good example of a sound policy that is good for the, uh, for the business development culture um, and environment in the state. Um, home builders and contractors were very supportive of a statewide code. They can, they can work in a town and, and have a, a common set of, of rules. So it's good, it's good regulatory clean up, and it's um, good for the environment to make sure that there's uh, an energy efficiency component to that. Great. I'm going to ask you in a a moment about um, the recent uh, summit on energy efficiency, which relates to this. But first, I'll list our phone numbers in case listeners want to participate in this conversation about Maine and climate change. 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500. Give us a call if you'd like to participate in our conversation. On the phone with us is Dylan Voorhees of the Natural Resources Council of Maine. And in the studio with us is Esperanza Stancioff of University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Uh, Dylan, uh, you attended the, the recent summit on energy efficiency, um, and that focused a little bit on what businesses might um, be doing to increase um, uh, energy efficiency and therefore lessen greenhouse gases. Tell us a little bit about that uh, conference. Well, that was a really uh, uh, very exciting event, um, and NRCM uh, was helping to plan that event for, for uh, uh, nearly a year and was a sponsor of that event. And it was uh, really exciting to have the governor and uh, the state agencies in the same room with Chamber of Commerce and business leaders and environmental leaders as well. And we had uh, about 550 people come to the Civic Center to, um, to help learn about energy efficiency and uh, what it can do for our, for our economy and reducing energy consumption. So uh, it was a very um, lively event with a lot of uh, panels and speakers and businesses who've done energy efficiency who were able to point to their successes and, um, and others who were there to learn from them. One of the highlights of that um, conference was a report that was uh, produced by uh, uh, Charlie Colgan, who's uh, uh, one of the most prominent economist in our state who did a report that looked at um, how energy efficiency could be used to, to strengthen our economy. And they, they found, um, consistent with other studies, that really um, 
adopting all the the cost-effective energy efficiency opportunities in the state that we've already identified could save about um, $230 million in energy costs just for for businesses alone um, and would would stimulate our economy um, by increasing our, our GDP by by about $200 million a year and, and creating um, 1,500 to 2,500 new jobs from that energy efficiency activity and the, the reductions in energy costs. So it was a really great um, report that framed um, the context for energy efficiency, and, and that's something that NRCM is really committed to, fully uh, implementing energy efficiency in our state and, and reducing costs, uh, improving our economy at the same time we're re- reducing global warming pollution. So probably the number one thing that the state can do um, is, is dramatically increase energy efficiency, and we need to reach out and, and um, educate and bring resources to the business community mm. to do that. And it seems as though uh, with Maine's economic situation the way it is, we really need that kind of inward investment, um, mm-hmm. investment by um, the, the uh, private sector, um, and that's one way to stimulate the economy. You, you mentioned actual jobs. Yeah, we, we, we spend about $5 billion a year on on energy, and of course, most of that money flows right out of state mm. in the form of, of buying fossil fuels. And investments uh, in energy efficiency not only reduce that amount of money that is flowing out of the state, but uh, it represents investments in, in our state, um, in our homes, and in our, in our businesses. And that kind of investment that reduces costs and, and stimulates our economy is, uh, as they say, is a, is a double um, benefit. Great. Well, both you and, and my guest here in the studio, Esperanza Stancioff, um, uh, participated recently in, in an environmental funders network um, session, um, helping to understand some of those environmental priorities. Um, tell us about that session, and Esperanza, you f- feel free to uh, jump in as well. Dylan, we'll start with you. Well, what, what I guess, your sense? Yes. Yeah, I would just say um, pretty simply that I think the um, foundations and, and funders have a growing recognition that, that global warming is one of the most important and, and complex challenges that we face, and that it extends well beyond traditional environmental you know, boundaries to health issues, economic issues, community issues. And so they're looking um, to, to support those activities and also to support um, coalition building and, and environmental groups that are willing to, to reach out to other groups and other kinds of groups in order to advance our, our common objectives. Esperanza, what would add anything to that? Uh, no, I, I think that's a good assessment <laughs> of what's happening there. Uh, I think that it's um, it's wonderful to see such a, a group, um, you know, uh, challenging themselves with, um, you know, what are the important uh, issues and, and organizations to, to be funding. And I think the collaborative networking piece is very strong in their minds. Mm. Another question for um, uh, both or either of you. We've been here before. Um, President Carter, who has been in the news recently for some other kinds of things, was really um, the, the last president who said, you know, we've got some energy uh, issues um, here. Why haven't we, as a, as a nation, um, as a people, kind of stuck with this? Because these are not new messages. Um, why haven't we stuck with this? Dylan? Well, um, I think, you know, as uh, I think, the, first of all, the, the oil, oil crisis that, that led to that um, Resurgence of interest in efficiency, for example, at that time was a was a, a short-lived and and somewhat artificial manipulation, mm. uh, you know, of the market. And that's very different from what we're facing now. We're facing um, the real prospect of declining supplies of, of fossil fuels, 
um, geologically speaking, um, not politically speaking, and we're facing a, a challenge of global warming that simply nobody no, nobody uh, believes will go away um, in a couple of years or a decade. So I think there's a recognition that um, this is not just weathering another storm. This is a new environment that we're entering, and um, I think there's um, there's really an, an interest in sustaining the kind of investments and the kind of um, changes and opportunities that we need. If if we take our eye off the ball, we'll we'll fall quickly behind. Um, so I think that it remains to be seen whether we can achieve that. Um, but oil prices aren't going to go down again anytime soon, and so I think there's there's the right motivators to keep our our eye on the ball. Great. Well, before we let you go, what will you be working on in the next year um, at the Natural Resources Council of oh, Maine? So many things. Um, <laughs> you won't believe. We're certainly going to continue to really promote energy efficiency, reach out to people. Same thing with wind power to make it make it a reality. We're also helping individuals um, take action and, and get active. I would encourage everybody to go to maineglobalwarming.org, find out what they can do in their own homes, and, and join with uh, you know, the growing community of people who, um, who want to take action in, in their own homes and, and politically. So um, that's a great way to learn what, what individuals can do, and we're, we're hoping to mobilize the state of Maine for, for a common objective of, of cleaning up our environment and, and uh, stimulating our economy. Mm. And how about um, the website for the Natural Resources Council of Maine? It's pretty easy. It's nrcm.org. Great. Well, Dylan, thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Thanks a lot, Ron. Great. That was Dylan Voorhees of the Natural Resources Council of Maine talking about um, their work on climate change and energy efficiency. Um, in the studio with us, we have uh, Esperanza Stancioff, who is with University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. You can participate as well this morning by giving us a call at one 625 9378 We do have one of those calls. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to bring up um, the thing about global warming is that... Um, there are different theories uh, regarding global warming, and I think that that's pretty important because um, I can't remember your, your guest name there uh, from NRCM, but he was just saying that, you know, um, uh, he, was, he was bringing up oil and talking about, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, the situation is different this time, and uh, just physically we're facing an issue, not politically so much. And, and of course, the other part of that is that that's actually very important, the, the whole political aspect, because, um, because uh, you know, what we do now, if we are at such a critical stage, is very important, because if we do do it the wrong way, the lasting effects of what we do could be worse. Hmm. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're right about what we're doing. And then also, uh, as far as global warming in theory is concerned, there are other theories out there as far as... Um, Social, uh, I mean, um, solar and uh, celestial causes. So, what have you found to be credible in your own reading? Well, I think um, I think the thing is, is that the a lot of what I hear uh, now, some things can be questioned um, on very you know, just commonsensical grounds, or can also be there. Are other there's other information that can be brought into the fray. Um, this one, here's, here's a book by um, Enrique Svensmark and Nigel Calder, and uh, it's called The Chilling Stars, A New Theory of Climate Change. Um, and uh, I guess it's 
you know, and, you know, so I think that there, there's, you know, it's... I, so, so, so what as a people should we be doing? Oh, yeah, exactly. That's a good question. Well, um, I think, uh, yeah, very good question. Um, I mean, there's lots of things that can be done. I think, obviously, education is first and foremost. Um, so let's, let's go back to some of Dylan's um, comments about yeah. um, uh, energy efficiency. Should we not be doing those things because um, we don't think that the climate is changing because of, of greenhouse gases? Right. Well, um, he was talking, I was listening to what he was saying, and he had some good, uh, you know, some interesting things, but he was also relying on legislation, um, which isn't necessarily, you know, if, if the world was that easy where you could just say, you know, let's pass a law and become more energy efficient, and that'll work. That's not necessarily going to be the case. I mean, there's been laws on the books before that, are supposed to achieve the same thing, and they don't do anything. Right. Well, he and was talking about a, he was talking about a coalition of business and environmental issues, folks and government coming together. Oh so yeah. These are mostly yeah. voluntary approaches to energy efficiency. Right. Well, they're voluntary in the organization and creation of it, but then how they're implemented isn't. Mm. Um, so, because so. that's you know, there's other future costs beyond that. Uh, you know, if it's a bad measure that gets taken, and there are unforeseen consequences of that law, that's going to cost money in the long run um, as well, or, or it may even be a misallocation of resources somehow. Mm. So, so I mean, what, what, what would you be doing as a, as a householder? How, are, how will you deal with, with the issue of climate change? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah, see, now we're kind of a little bit reverting back to the climate change part. I think, um, you know, I think that it seems pretty obvious that climate change is, uh, there may be, um, uh, there may be changes that are, you know, helped. Uh, uh, explain it. I, I would say that the the cyclical theory is probably a lot more plausible. I'm not going to say humans don't contribute. So, so you, as a householder, don't feel the need to take any action. No. Okay. So, so even if there's a, a cyclical kind of thing, you'd say no to energy efficiency. Um, because it's not a, a safe investment or a wise investment, or you're well, fear, fearful. Well, I mean, I, I like uh, you know, I, I use lights. Uh-huh. Um, I buy fuel, but you know, I can't. I can only use so much, you know, because it costs money. Hmm. Um, so you know, I don't. You know, I don't uh, go out and burn my tires and keep lights on all the time. I mean, I, I conserve as much as I can. I just use what I what I need primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and if I don't have a lot of money, then I cut back and mm-hmm. don't drive and that kind of stuff. So really, you know, I'm just basing it on trying to do what I need to do and living within my means. Right. Um, and I think that there's a lot of things in, in, uh, society now where those type of things aren't necessarily happening. Um, I mean, uh, I, I know I, I saw a number that I thought was amazing, um, where the Pentagon uses like a third of a billion dollars of uh, a billion barrels of oil a year or something, which is, and it's, you know, that's pretty much primarily just military stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, that's really, I mean, the average homeowner isn't necessarily the one that's using all the energy. Right. Um, Also in America, when you look at land resources, uh, like, I think it's like 30% or something are, are, uh, are, you know, government lands, and with like, I think there was there's been talk about how 
um, what is it, uh, Yellowstone out there. That's, that's, uh, there's been talk about how badly mismanaged that was. You know, uh, there's other, there's just lots of other options out there. I just would stress that people, you know, look at, you know, everything that's being saying about the different theories or the different right. possibilities. There's some really good examples of free market environmentalism. It's like the Commons blog. Great. Um, well, thanks for your views. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm here on Talk of the Towns. Well, so are you. I'm just putting in my two cents. Great. Thank thanks you so very much. much. Thanks so much. Talk of the Towns is um, here live. We're um, talking with Esperanza Stancioff of University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. And uh, we've had folks on the line talking about Maine and climate change. Um, you can call us as well. Esperanza, you may have some reaction um, to this. What sources do you use? Where do you get your information? All right. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, one of the primary sources is certainly from scientific data and, uh, and scientists who are doing this work um, all over the world. And I know that, um, you know, the ice coring, for example, that's being done by um, uh, the Climate Change Institute, the University of Maine, and and many other scientists um, all around the world with this. So these kind are people of, you, at the University of Maine. You actually know. Yes, yes, right. and so. um, and looking at 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 this at this work is is really uh, it's profound uh, in that they can actually go back and see over time what um, has you know each each. Um, uh, century has produced mm. in in the way of um, of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, and so we have a record. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and some of that record points to a cyclical um, up and down of yes, of, of temperature, absolutely, and, and so on. So that's not discounted entirely, no, but no. there's something else happening. That basically it was what the the, the yes. combined research would tell us. Exactly, and I think that um, you know that um, you know looking at the graphing those data. Uh, certainly, uh, it, it's extreme mm-hmm. what's what's happening. How much has been emitted uh, in this century compared to to previous times, and you know, it really shows uh, a, a vast increase in uh, in emissions. Uh, another thing is is the, you know the study that I referred to that has really been able to uh, look at the emissions, um, particularly. I um, was looking at it for the Northeast, and um, and really showing what all of these things are emitting into mm. the atmosphere. We know uh, for, I mean, it's, it's not debatable that um, it's these greenhouse gases are being trapped in our atmosphere mm-hmm. and warming the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, uh, I, I have a hard time, and I've looked at some of the other um, theories out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with um, the scientific data to back those up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as we as we um, think about this, there are, as this caller said, there's an individual um, reaction. Sure. There's um, kind of government reaction, right. legislative right. reaction, and, community and, level. and then at the community level. And we've been um, in past uh, programs, we've been talking at the community level. Mm-hmm. Um, people have um, maybe they've seen all of those theories, but um, they're also um, saying, "Well, we're going to do something about that." Right. So the notion of, of uh, People have to um, decide what's important to them. So like our listener, um, they're reading some things, and they will make up their own minds. Right. But other people are reading other things. And what you're saying is that the scientists, scientists, scientific community has pretty much said this is really happening. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We do have another listener call. Um, let's go ahead and take that call. You're on Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Um, I'd like to ask uh, Esperanza, is... Um, 
is bar- uh, oil that costs $120 a barrel and gasoline that costs $5 a gallon the best thing that could possibly happen for the environment? <laughs> In terms of, of, of <laughs> cause, causing uh, conservation, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Ca- causing uh, yeah. different... Uh, different uh, technologies to be developed and, uh, right, and, and right. conservation. Well, that's a good question. And, um, Shouldn't we celebrate it, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I don't think we've ever really paid the real cost for our energy use. And um, I, I think that, you know, it's a hardship for people, and that's, you know, that's, that's terrible. But it has definitely sparked a lot of innovation and creativity, uh, I think, in the private and, uh, and the public sector. Um, so... Um, I do. I do think that things are happening as a result of uh, a number of factors. That being one of them. Mm. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Great. Thanks for your comment. Yep. You're listening to Talk of the Towns as we talk about Maine and climate change. What choices do we have now? Um, we've talked about choices um, in past programs that um, things like. Um, just the individual uh, converting um, their household's light bulbs. Um, um, Esperanza, I noticed that you drive a car that's probably more efficient than most people's cars. So people can make individual choices as well as uh, uh, community choices. Um, we hope that we'll be talking with uh, uh, Peter Arnold of the Chewankee uh, Foundation in a little bit. In the meantime, if you'd like to give us a call, go ahead with your question or comment um, by calling one 625 9378 or four six nine zero five zero zero. I think the the whole notion of of keeping track of things, um, even in the state of Maine, um, is a is a big big thing. So how do we know what each other is doing around mm-hmm. climate change? Um, and and you're you know, part of a, a conversation going on at the University of Maine to try to catalog all of this work that's going on. Tell us a little bit about that project. Right. Well, um, we have a subcommittee uh, from our marine extension team of Sea Grant and Cooperative Extension that have come together um, to look at some of these issues and how do we as a team and uh, individuals in our work approach uh, the topic of climate change uh, along the coast. Um, And um, we started out by thinking that we would bring, you know, representative leaders together from all of these different uh, efforts, uh, including NRCM and Chewankee and and uh, and so forth, and we realized that we didn't really know what all was going on out there uh, um, regarding climate change and um, and who these people were, and uh, so we started putting together a database of uh, organizations and contacts and what um, you know what type of organization it was a nonprofit or a governmental or um, uh, business, etc. So we were just um, putting that together. So you, you'll you'll have that um, kind of matrix um, of out for yes. people to look at. Yes, and we and we then further went to uh, were asked by the environment environmental funders network of Maine to put together a catalog for investors um, of these resources, and so we have that, and there will be a PDF of that on the Maine Sea Grant website as well as the environmental funders website. Great, great. We have a couple of uh, listeners' calls. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, never sure who's up. That's right. Thanks. So, you know, just listening to everything and, you know, the differing opinions that get spouted about climate change and stuff and cause, effect, it does seem to me that, you know, regardless of how you slice it, change is happening. And, you know, the, the planet has this great balancing act that it plays with every change that you make to it. So... 
regardless of the extent that we've affected things, um, changes are happening. We're going to have to deal with it, and we're dealing with a politically incorrect world uh, that has been mostly, I think, profit-motivated for a long time, and it's affecting everybody. And um, I think what people really got to start looking at is the real truth of everything that's going on. Uh, my major concern is ethanol at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's tooting it as, as a new uh, renewable resource. The problem I keep hearing is is that it's it's hugely demanding on natural resources, and its actual carbon footprint is larger mm-hmm. than what it's supposed to be making up for. And I think people locally and globally have to start really questioning everything that's being fed to them for data um, and, uh, and get proactive. Call your congressman. Uh, bitch a little bit. Don't stand in the supermarket in the corner store and talk to everybody about how bad everything is. Get out on the street and say, we're kind of tired of this. Mm. And, uh, we'd love to see some change. And mm. Give us some answers. You know, until people motivate, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be dribs and drabs, and we're going to woe and moan, and and as each disaster comes on the heels of the next one. And I don't know. Mm. I think everybody feels this frustration because everything is crawling at a snail's pace. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your views this morning. Okay. Thank you. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We do have another caller on the line. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, Hello, this is Dick from Prospect Harbor. Um, I'm wondering what what you folks um, think about the cap-and-trade issue and and that on on a national or worldwide scale as a a way to provoke... uh, innovation and use the economy and what for whatever uh, however you uh, consider the capitalistic system to use that uh, to address climate change well we'll, we'll see what we can um, our guest doesn't claim to be an expert in cap and trade but she'll make some comments but I think um, well other listeners may I, I realize it it's more of a national than, than local issue, but, mm. but if it's a way to go, it's going to require a lot of input and, and pressure from people at a local level to, mm. to bring it about, I think. Certainly the state of Maine is engaging in that kind of um, investigation and, and work. So um, in, in many ways, your, top, your, your uh, suggestion is right on target. So thanks for your call this morning. Thank you. One eight hundred, excuse me, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight, or locally four six nine zero five hundred. As we talk about Maine and climate change, Esperanza, uh, yeah, reaction. Um, uh, well, I think that both of the the last callers um, have good points. Um, you know, I think that we have to go carefully um, into um, you know these policies and um, and changes that that need to be made. Um, I don't profess to be uh, an expert at either one, but I have read a lot about, you know, both the ethanol situation and the biofuels um, and what that does take. Um, for for example, I know, I know that a lot of the, the, the crops that are being uh, grown for ethanol are taking food away from the local population. So, so that's, that's definitely a, a detriment. And, um, uh, and likewise, I don't, you know, I've heard 
pros and cons on the cap and trade system, and I think that's something that we should really follow closely. I don't know, um, you know, I think the jury's still out. Mm. I think it's, you know, I think that people are grasping at ways to um, to make changes as quickly as possible. And Both of these are market-based approaches yes, to yes. solving a problem that exactly. has been created by the market. So right. that's why I think some people are, are asking those hard questions to say, right. do we really need, yeah. is the marketplace really going to solve this problem? There's right. this, this, I think there's this great belief that the marketplace is, is truth. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of people are questioning that. So you were talking a little bit about this, um, this uh, matrix of mm-hmm. organizations and activities. You say that that will be available on the main Sea Grant website. Um, and your um, use of that, um, you're going to be taking a sabbatical. And right. so tell us a little bit about that as, as you prepare for that and how that will focus your work mm-hmm. on climate mm-hmm. change. Well, having um, this resource and having gathered a lot of information about the organizations and the um, the people who are leading these organizations for uh, climate change issues in Maine, um, my hope is to actually delve into that more and um, you know start interviewing in depth some of the folks that are that are doing this work and um, also you know if if it's appropriate and possible to start um, you know acting as a Oh, I wouldn't go so far as to say, say a catalyst, but a um, um, a, um, a. You'll a, be providing some leadership. I, I would I like right. to. I would like to to gather people together to mm-hmm. see if you know to make sure that we're not duplicating effort, to make sure that we are as efficient and effective as possible, and to continue to support. Um, uh, people at the local community and state level. Great. I do believe we have uh, Peter Arnold uh, on the line from the Chewanke Foundation. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Peter. Thank you very much. Glad you could be with us. Um, very quickly, give us a, a thumbnail sketch of Chewanke and your interest in climate issues. Um, Chewanke uh, started as a summer camp way back in 1918, <coughs> excuse me, um, and became a, an environmental education foundation in the 1960s. I'm, I'm sustainability coordinator here now, um, and think about the ways that um, I can get the message about um, climate change and end of oil and um, the ways to do renewable energy to all of the different populations that flow through here. Mm. Lots of schools, lots of conferences that we do, and then the whole population of campers that come through and uh, high school students. Mm-hmm. And some some of those things that that you're, um, if you see a Chewanke uh, vehicle on the road, um, very likely it's not powered by gasoline. Um, well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been we, demonstrating the effectiveness of biofuel. Yes, yes. Right. We do um, make some of our own um, biodiesel. Biodiesel. And um, also buy commercially made biodiesel now because it's available and try to run our vehicles on a 50-50 blend. Mm. And w- what kinds of questions do you get when, when people see that those vehicles and, and uh, um, what's the reaction? Well, they're, they're really interested in the idea Mm. Um, biofuels are fascinating right now because of the national focus on corn-based ethanol. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, again, we're striving to get a good balance between what makes, um, what what works, and what's sustainable. Um, and it's so fascinating to see that um, struggle continue to unfold, and hopefully, we'll get it right. Mm. I've, I've noticed a, an article in the Christian Science Monitor the, just the other day about um, the theft of um, basically the oil that you're putting into your cars. 
you know, it's it's such a it, there's a, such a hot market that um, people are stealing it from the backs of restaurants. Right. Yep. <laughs> what else is Chewanky doing to kind of demonstrate how we might kind of explore um, these kinds of issues? Well, we're we're continuing to talk to um, everyone we can about how to use our energy as efficiently as we possibly can. You know, the big um, push now is to think about, for us in Maine, um, building our buildings as efficiently as we possibly can so that they use um, very little, fo- little, if any, fossil fuels. And then the, the balance is you can make it up with um, solar or biofuels um, or geothermal. Um, so efficiency is a big deal. Mm. Um, and we're also you know, continuing to work at demonstrating both how practical um, solar-heated water is. Um, hot water is a, is a good way to use the sun, and it's also um, cost-effective immediately. Um, so we've got that up. We've got a lot of PV up. We, we're building... Um, uh, that PV that, is photovoltaic? Oh, photovoltaics, yeah. Yes, yeah. And how does that doesn't, actually Doesn't work? everyone know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making sure, Peter. Oh, just good, I know. Sure. I understand. <laughs> You're being a good host. Um, and, and we've just um, worked with a local company, um, Ascendant Energy, in less time spent installing, and both systems work more efficiently, both the electric side and the hot water side. So That's pretty exciting. So, so people can actually come to your campus in West Cassett and kind of see these things at work? Yes, yes, that's the goal, mm-hmm. especially the people that come through our programs. Mm. And, and, and you also take, take things on the road as well? We do. We have a, an extensive outreach program. Um, it started out uh, being almost entirely nature-based, um, birds and bats and fishes and how nature works. And we've added into that um, climate change lessons and renewable energy lessons um, and continue to think about ways to bring uh, this information out in the world. We're, we're doing some talking now with um, folks that are interested in um, putting a house, a model house on a trailer um, and bring it to school parking lots. Mm. And, uh, you know, drawing on the parking lot what the sun's path is going to be and being able to look into the walls to see how insulation works um, and having some solar hot water that you can run your hands in and watching some solar electricity being made and doing, doing something interesting. Great. And what's been the reaction of, of either the folks who are coming to you or the, when you take the, those programs out? What's the curios- curiosity level? Um, what's the reaction to some of these um, innovations? Well, uh, right now, the interest level is extremely high. You know, as, as um, more and more information comes to us as a, as a, a public, um, that climate change is real, that there are changes happening around us, um, and the cost of fuel um, continues to, to nudge us in the right direction. Um, I'm both getting calls and getting reports back from our programs that folks are just hungry right now for, for all of this information and trying to figure out how to incorporate it into their lives. Great. Um, for listeners' information, how do they contact you at Chewanke, or how would they learn about some of these works? You've got a website, I'm sure. Yes. The website is uh, 
which is C-H-E-W-O-N-K-I dot org, um, and that brings you to the organization's website, um, and our particular piece of that is um, off a picture that says sustainability, and it's a picture of photovoltaic um, modules on one of our roofs. Um, and from there, you can click into all of the lessons that we offer. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today, Peter. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Peter Arnold of the Chiwanki Foundation in the studio with us as we wrap up. And I'm sorry we're not going to be able to take further phone calls because the end of the hour is rapidly approaching. In the studio with us is Esperanza Stancioff of University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Um, Esperanza, what are your hopes, you know, as as you kind of delve into this in a deeper kind of way? Where do you want to take this? Mm Well, you know, I'm in a learning phase, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm very hopeful to um, have some impact mm-hmm. um, on some of these issues and and try to um, uh, do my own programming. When when will your sabbatical um, start, and when will you end? So maybe we might have you back. Oh, I'd love to. Um, yes, I'm I'm leaving the third week in August of '08, and I'll be back and uh, the end of July '09. So. Right. It'll be a nice, nice... We'll uh, have a wonderful and refreshing and and stimulating sabbatical leave. Thanks, Ryan. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major education outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990, and happy birthday to WERU this month, and continues with your support. Join us on the second and fourth Friday at this time for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks to our guest um, this morning, Esperanza Stancioff of University of Maine. for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a great morning.